This is episode 17 of Fam Life with Phil Gomez on the Rising Man podcast. Our guest for today is Jetty Azuma. What's good, y'all? I'm Phil Gomez, and this is Fam Life, where we talk all things lifestyle, relationship, and focus on amplifying the voices of people of color. I got Jetty back for another episode today because I just love chopping it up with this guy. And also, I saw an opportunity for us to have a different conversation. So the topic of our conversation today is raising multiracial children. This was just an amazing conversation to have because as long as Jetty and I have been friends, uh, the topic of race has really not come up too often. So it was great to touch into the topic of race and ethnicity and just our experience as biracial men and also our experience as fathers who are raising multiracial children. A lot of good topics come up and overall it's just a good conversation that I left feeling empowered by and really just bringing more intentionality to how I really want to raise my children to embrace all the cultures that make up the people that they are. So before we dive into the episode, I really want to remind you guys to go check out risingman.org and check out all the different opportunities you have to join the community, whether it's the Brotherhood or Compass or any of the other programs that we have. There's definitely something there for you. So go to risingman.org today, check out the site and see what calls to you. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, fellas. So we're back for another episode of Fam Life with me, your host, Phil Gomez. Got the man himself back again, Mr. Jetty Azuma. Thanks for being back on here, bro. Honored to be here, man. Anytime to clock in some time with you is worthwhile. And hey, if we say something smart and intelligent, then that's bonus points. (laughs) You know, at least it's being recorded, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it seems like uh, we're both so busy these days with family and life that we got to record a podcast in order to spend some time together. Yeah, man, you know, right before we started recording, I was just thinking that we've been trying to link up over the past couple of weeks. And here we are. This is one one of the few ways we have to make that happen when we have children and work and life all going on at the same time but i'm grateful grateful we get to have conversations like this likewise man i think uh when we put the uh the pillar of service uh makes it a lot easier to carve out some time to have a conversation so here we are being of service hopefully uh we say something that is going to help some of our listeners out there um as you know we started i started this part of the podcast uh little over a year ago and when i when we were first talking about it you know i i told you that i wanted to bring some more uh voices of people of color and kind of more conversations about race and family as well you know and three pillars of fam life are relationship lifestyle and amplifying the voices of people of color so before we hit record here today i was uh kind of telling you that I wanted to have a conversation about race and racial identity and ethnicity and really had that conversation with you because I know it's conversations that we've had off script a bit more, but I don't think I've heard you talk very much about it on the podcast and you can correct me if I'm wrong there. No, I think you're absolutely right, man. It's definitely a topic. You know, I, Frankly, I consider myself a person of mixed race and mixed ethnicity uh, with my mom being uh, essentially of European descent and my dad being of Japanese descent. But it's not a topic that I feel like I'm an expert in at all. 
in fact, I often look to folks uh, like you and, and other people in my community to to learn from and really understand more of the uh, just the dialogue around race and ethnicity and essentially what's happening in the world. So it's definitely not something that I have brought to the to the forefront of the podcast. And I'm looking forward to seeing where we go here, man, because even though you and I talk about it off script, it's also not a conversation I think that we have often, probably not often enough with each other. For sure, man. For sure. Well, your first mistake is looking to me for uh, <laughs> as a voice of reason when it comes to when it comes to race and all that. But uh, yeah, maybe when we put our two heads together here, we can we can come up with something at least uh, at least a perspective that's going to help us guide our children more as they navigate life and their personal identity and you know their race. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you man. don't want to. One of the things I just want to say off the off the cuff is I think for myself, the biggest awareness I've had over the past few years around this topic is that I didn't realize I didn't have much awareness around the perception I had of race because I was just operating in the world as I was. And I didn't realize how much I was operating just from my own perspective of race. And I think with uh Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happened in the past few years, bringing even more attention to that. It's given me an opportunity to take a different look at how, how the world looks through all different types of sets of eyes. And so one of the reasons why I said I looked to, to folks like you around me is because you're my best friend in the world. And until I remember, I remember this, I'll share this story because I remember when everything started happening with George Floyd. And everything was still very new, very recent, very hot. I remember reaching out to you and just asking you for some perspective. So I knew that I could have a safe and unfiltered conversation with you. And by the end, like in the middle of that conversation, after some of the things I shared with you, feeling like, wow, I feel very naive. I feel very ignorant. I feel like here's one of my best friends in the world. And I had no idea what your experience as a, as a black man in the United States was. And so the reason I say what I say is because I realized that even myself, someone who, who studied social justice issues alongside you in college and had an experience uh, living and being in very close proximity to people from all different types of ethnic backgrounds, um, I didn't really have, a, I wasn't really taking the opportunity to look at life through other people's eyes like that. So, so I just mm -hmm. wanted to start there because I think it's, there's, there's a lot of honesty that could be had in this conversation for myself. Yeah, could definitely resonate with that. And I think, um, you know, I think one of the pillars of men's work is this sense of empathy or being able to see yourself in someone else's story, right? Or in someone else's difficulties, you know, when someone comes to uh, a team and is expressing like some of the difficulties they're having in their life, like nine times out of 10, you can really see yourself in that story. Now, you know, race is, I think, a very... It's a very particular topic because obviously all of us have different uh, relationships to it based on how we look, based on how the world sees us. Um, however, you know, I still think there is a lot more room for this conversation to grow so that we can have more empathy and understanding for each other. And until we're comfortable having the uncomfortable conversation or at least being in a position where um, I can identify that I don't know anything about this or there's so much that I don't know and therefore I can listen to someone else. That's like really the where the seed of empathy can really sprout, especially when it comes to race and uh racial identity. Yeah. I, I think it's so wonderful. So when you approached me about 
the starting a podcast and and having it be a part of Rising Man and and bringing the conversation of race and everything we're here discussing today, I thought it was wonderful because I thought, hey, this is this is a conversation that I don't think is happening enough inside of this field because we we talk about having, like you said, these conversations of vulnerability and being honest and authentic and this is a topic that a lot of people have a hard time being honest about because when you really get to the bottom of just how programmed and conditioned we are to see race and ethnicity in a particular way it's really i mean talk about shameful right think about oh yeah start digging up the skeletons of our parents and our grandparents closets and, and looking at wow I didn't even realize that there's so much like embedded racism within my own family, my aunties, my uncles, and just looking at that and feeling like, wow, shameful, shameful to carry that around and embarrassed. It's kind of embarrassing to, to think about those things living and existing within my own family. And what we push for in this, in this field of work is the ability to have honest conversations on both sides, you know, and to, and to be able to say whatever needs to be said so that we can arrive at a deeper truth. And this is a topic that is no different than any other in the sense that the, the, the baseline of that truth can be a very difficult place to start from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And really my goal for this conversation is to bring our personal stories into it. I think anytime the conversation of race comes up, it, it's really it tends to go a bit more intellectual or theoretical or how things should be. And um, I think it's a lot of times our personal stories get lost and that's where, that's where the juice of it is, you know? So kind of bringing that person, that personality to this conversation, as well as really this overall goal of, you know, both of us have uh, biracial children, children of that are multiracial and, um, you know, we'll get into white passing and all that later. Uh, but, you know, they're going to have their own experience of navigating their personal identity, specifically to race as they continue to get older. So, you know, what are things that we can do as fathers to uh, help assist them in that? So yeah. let's kick this off here. You, you started to talk about this a little bit, um, talking about your mom and dad. Um, but I guess my question to you is, do you personally identify as a person of color? I do. I do identify as a person of color. Uh, although I, I, I would say it's easier for me to identify as biracial. Um, mm -hmm. Something about person of color, I look at myself and I'm like, well, I'm not that, I don't always see myself as very colorful, <laughs> at, least, at least in comparison to many of my other friends. But uh, I think it's more of a language thing than anything else. I, I definitely consider mm -hmm. myself as a person who comes from a blended background and, and obviously my children are even more so, uh, you know, they're, they come from four different racial backgrounds and I come from two. So mm -hmm. I definitely consider myself to be that. And it's been apparent my whole life. You know, I, when I was growing up, I was, um, I, I, most of the kids that I grew up with were Italian or Irish or Polish is very much a uh, white Caucasian demographic that I that I grew up in and around. There's definitely some other Asian kids, but just a couple. And I think the fact that I was mixed race allowed me to. It was kind. It was it was more that it was kind of interesting. I got to tell people like, oh yeah, I'm I'm Italian, but I'm also half Japanese. Ooh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like kind of like that exotic, you know? Oh, he's that's kind of cool. He's half Japanese. That's interesting. Um, and that was what it was for most of my childhood. 
there's definitely moments where um, I remember just like jokes and, and kids pointing out that part of me, especially the fact that I was Japanese. I remember there's one kid who was, uh, who was really trying to, he was, he was mad because I, I started dating his ex-girlfriend, essentially as the story was. We were kids. We were like four, 13, 14 years old. And I remember one day he was across the street and he just, just starts screaming this stuff about my grandfather and Pearl Harbor saying like my grandfather planned Pearl Harbor and that he had, you know, bombs in his basement, like shit, shit like that, like stupid shit mm -hmm. that kids would make up. Um, and there's like a couple of memories like that that stand out, but I don't remember my, my race or my racial identity being much of a, at least not something that was on the surface when I was growing up. And I think that's why I didn't have as much of an appreciation for it until I started to uh, have more friends of, of mixed races and, and different ethnic backgrounds. And I started to see a little bit more of just how, how much of an impact that has in, in, in dynamics and relational connection. Mm -hmm. I guess when you're, you know, when you move around the world, do you feel like people assume you're white or do you get the question a lot? Like, what are you or yeah. How, how is that? Yeah, the the what are you question I've gotten my whole life, and I <laughs> I usually joke around. I usually tell people that you know Italian plus Japanese equals Latino because everyone seems to think <laughs> that I'm some sort of uh, you know either Mexican or Latin American. Um, so yeah, that is something that I get quite often, and, and most people once I tell them what my background is, they're like, oh, I can see it now. Which I don't know if they actually can or if that's just something that they say, but yeah, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. Now for you, do you ever take offense to that question or do you ever feel like it's intrusive or, you know, do you have any, any sentiments about that kind of curiosity? No, actually, I don't ever take offense to it. Um, I, can, I don't think I ever have taken offense to that. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think I used to revel in the fact that people would take such an interest in where I came from. And even growing up, it was actually kind of a fun and interesting thing. I think it got me a lot of attention. People be like, oh, what's your background? So I think I have more of a, I don't know if it's a pride, but definitely not something I take offense to. It's, it's always been mm -hmm. more of like a interesting conversational piece. For sure. Nice breaker. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess um, coming from a biracial household um, was race or, or culture and ethnicity was that a conversation that occurred in your house growing up you know uh, not on the surface this is really good that you're asking me to think about this because it's not it's honestly not something i think about very often it's not something that my parents spoke much to me about and you know, you know it's kind of funny is that both my parents were born and raised in new jersey so I think they're actually both more New Jerseyan than they are <laughs> Italian or Japanese. So I think that's kind of where they can relate. I even think of my my father and just the way he was able to assimilate with my mother's side of the family, like like hardcore New Jersey Italian family, right? Like you can barely understand what the hell they're saying because the accent's so thick. And I think it was just because there was like a a subculture that they shared, just of being an East Coaster and you know immigrant background and it was just kind of like you know there, there was a mutual respect there i don't think that the conversation of race came up very often um i'm also thinking because especially in my mom's family her every let me think about this for a second yeah pretty much every pairing of 
aunties and uncles that I had, like my mom and dad's brothers and sisters on both sides, there was a majority of them were, were mixed race uh, mm. pairings. So I think, I think that also made it so that it wasn't so much of an issue, but it all, it also makes me wonder how much wasn't being said. That's why I say mm -hmm. on the surface, it wasn't there, but, and I kind of look back and I've been doing some like retroactive investigation. I'm just, I'm kind of wondering, I wonder what my grandparents really thought of some of these dynamics. I wonder what their racial perspectives really were, because it wasn't something that we talked about much. It's a really interesting thing, man. You know, I, I can relate in a lot of ways, you know, being from New York, Northeast, I think in general, there just the racial ethnic diversity in that area is so dense. You know, there are so many different cultures habitating the same, the same area that, you know, I definitely took for granted until I moved away from New York and just realized, whoa, it is, it is such a melting pot over there. Um, and in that, like growing up, myself included, you know, there's so many different um, biracial families or multi multiracial families. And, uh, you know, I kind of took that for granted. I know for myself in growing up, you know, my family was all, uh, you know, I pretty much grew up with my grandparents either living down the street or downstairs from us in the two family home. Those are my mom's parents. Um, and then my, you know, my dad is from Colombia, so we'd see his family all the time. And I didn't know until I got a bit older that like there was so much tension within both families uh, when my parents first got together, you know, just being of different ethnicities, being of different cultures and, you know, almost like this, almost like this desire to preserve some sort of, I don't want to say purity, but preserve some sort of sense of like this cultural pride that would be diluted if you're like going outside of your culture or your race or your ethnicity. Um, so I, you know, that was something that was a huge surprise for me as I got a bit older, just because, you know, my grandparents loved my dad and vice versa for my mom on my dad's side. So um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting. Like what, you know, what is and what is not being said? Yeah. It is really interesting to me because again, I, I think, I've held it that my my perspectives may be a bit naive or ignorant, but now I'm starting to even question that because my I've always thought that, man, we should have way more mixed race families because for one, our, our children are beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> God damn, talk about like some beautiful children that we can create. Um, but obviously less less superficial, but more in, in terms of depth of of culture. And, and expansiveness, especially with the world becoming such a, a more of a global and international community that there's, um, at least in my mind, it's like, well, wouldn't we be able to relate better and potentially understand each other more if the, if the lines between races were, became more blurry, almost like, uh, instead of having these like definitive lines on a, on a canvas, if you started to like have more like watercolors and they blurred together. Mm. Uh, obviously, without losing the the beauty and the tradition and the legacy of our ancestry and our culture, because I, I don't I'm actually a, a huge advocate for stronger foundations of legacy and ancestry and culture. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to bringing races together if they can, uh, you know, blend in a uh, harmonious way. At least that's the way that I look at it, generally speaking. And I, and I understand there's thoughts that you know, keeping the, keeping the bloodlines, um, 
I don't pu- pu- pure doesn't sound like the right word, but keeping the bloodlines <laughs> more within their, uh, you know, I, I don't know the terminology, but, but like within the same race, you know, to kind of sustain that direct line all the way back to ancestors. But I think we just live in such a different world now that it's mm-hmm. almost becoming a necessity. Yeah, I think it's, I think there's, it's a very interesting topic, you know, and neither one of us are men that say uh, should much, right? Or it should be this way or should be that way. And I think when it comes to, I think when it comes to multiracial families, there's, there's definitely a sense of beauty to it in the sense that you get all of these um, different backgrounds coming together. And, you know, there's also way more responsibility and difficulties to navigate, you know, for example, you know, my mom is black, my dad's Colombian and growing up, if I were to ever receive some sort of, um, you know, some sort of racism, right. Or, or discrimination for being, being black or brown, um, super difficult to have that conversation with my dad because, you know, my dad is pretty fair skin. I wouldn't say he's white passing, but you know, definitely, definitely lighter skin. So it's not going to be something that he's experienced. And so then it's like, well, then I go to my mom for it. Right. Or, you know, her parents or uh, my grandparents. Um, But, you know, you start to have to navigate these, these life difficulties or barriers, crossroads that you're of course going to come across that, uh, you know, maybe not both parents can, help feel those questions or experiences equally. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. That's something that um, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with my dad at all, because obviously like my, my mom's Caucasian. So I don't I mean, I certainly don't think that she could understand that experience. And I don't, but I don't think I've ever had a conversation with my dad about him um, being a person of color or, or growing up that way. I, even all of his best friends are all, Caucasian, right? He, he, mm-hmm. he had a very similar, we, we grew up in a very similar area of New Jersey where there wasn't a lot of um, Asian people of Asian descent there, at least not the way where, you know, we were the, definitely the minority where we were growing up. It's different now. Um, but, but yeah, and I wonder how much of that, because I also think back to questions I've had and I've asked my grandparents on my dad's side um, about, you know, what it was like for them when they were growing up. And I know my grandfather specifically, he passed when I was five. But in asking my dad, my uncles about him, he put a lot of emphasis on assimilating into American culture, right? And, mm-hmm. and he, um, I don't know if it was that he, I think there was still a, a pride in, in, our, in our roots, but it wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to continue to be a Japanese man living in America. I think he really wanted to create an American experience for his family here. And I think the results of what you see is that we're, you know, our family is, is very Americanized. You know, we, we, the language isn't spoken on that side of my family anymore. Um, there's still some of the, some of the cooking and some of the food and cultural traditions that we have that we all appreciate. And that's, say that's about the extent of our connection to, to that part of our, of our family line. But think about my dad and I don't know how much of an experience he had. I'm sure he did. I mean, how could you, how could you not have an experience of, of racism uh, being a, a man who, who looks different than most other people where, where you are growing up, but I can't remember one example where my dad's ever talked to me about that. So I don't know if he just held it in or 
was able to compartmentalize it within himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about my dad now and, um, we never had too many conversations like specifically about race and his experience being an immigrant from Colombia, and, um, you know, just what it was like to now be in the States and to be with, uh, to be around, we grew up in a, a pretty white area, you know, mixed in general, if you increased our, uh, radius, you know, surrounding towns and all that, which are all pretty close, but, you know, still majority white for sure. And, you know, we never really had too many conversations about his, uh, about his experience and really his, uh, racial identity. Um, but, you know, in thinking about my dad and knowing your dad, I am sure for them, like there's an element of not even looking at it because there's more important things at hand. Right. Or, Maybe also the sentiment, which is like really why men's work has exploded of like, well, it really isn't going to do anything to talk about it. So I'm just going to like push it down or move it out of the way and keep progressing forward on whatever it is I'm focusing on, whether that's career, family, finances, that that whole thing. I, you know, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I think that's another example of where our, that generation of men that came before us, they were doing exactly what you just said, right? They were taught to stuff it down, buckle up your bootstraps and go ahead and out there and take care of the family. That was the, that was the role of a man. And I also think, I mean, at least again, without knowing, without ever asking just my perception of it, I think that my, my father and, and the generation, uh, like first, second generation Americans who have immigrant family backgrounds, the, the objective was so clear. It was come here and, and, and make a better life for your, for the family and then do whatever by doing whatever it, it takes, you know, cause I, I know both of our fathers pretty well and they're both very devoted family men. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I know that the, the forefront of their mind was always take care of your family, take care of your family. And if, if taking care of your family meant not getting caught up in all of this um, racial tension outside, then I could see them just really focusing in on, well, I'll do whatever I need to do to make this work. And uh, I think, I don't know, I just think that that's maybe one of those things that they learned to kick off to the side, especially if it had to do with how they felt about it. Of course, I mean, that was way down on the priority list. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when it comes to race and ethnicity, you know, now that you're uh, you're an adult, um, in that process of becoming an adult, or at least, you know, where your parents had less say on who you were to be as a person, um, do you feel like you've been more interested in diving into your Japanese roots or even your Italian roots as well a bit more? Yeah, this is, this is a really good question because for me, I, I was always more drawn to my Japanese roots and my Italian roots. I mean, the the version of italian culture that i got from from my family growing up was just not very appealing to me like they're just they're just and it might just be my version of what i what i got you know the 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 family culture that i had was not one that just uh that was that was really compelling for me 
Whereas on my Japanese side of the family, I was, I was very interested, probably because it was so much less familiar to me. That's probably what it was, is that I, I didn't, there weren't a lot of other Japanese people around me growing up. So I was very intrigued by it. It was very interesting. All of, I think the fact that it was such a faraway place and it had um, what feels to me like much more of an, of an ancient mystique, just the, the samurai culture and the Bushido codes and just the, the deliberateness in, in Japanese culture. That, that just seemed to resonate with me more on a core level. Now, what's interesting is that's how it was for me growing up, primarily. Uh, for me growing up, I was really, really interested in the Japanese culture. But if you ask me today, I would say my fascination is much more along the lines of just, just being a person of the earth. And my spiritual exploration has become much more of a, of a fascination for me. Because um, like nowadays, I don't, I don't take as much pride in telling people that I'm a Japanese, Italian, American. That used to be like, I couldn't wait to tell people that I was half Japanese. That, I remember when it used to feel like that. And I still, you know, I still take pride in where I come from. But nowadays, I don't really, it's not really an ambition of mine to define myself that way. I, I truly want to be more just a, a, a person of the earth who is um, respectful of, of all life and taking all things into consideration. I think that's, I think that's where my perspective has shifted more towards. I, I don't want to dismiss all of the important parts of having conversations of race, race and ethnic culture and backgrounds. But again, I think reflecting on what I said before, I, I do in my heart of hearts believe that it's, it's more important for us all to see ourselves as, as children of this one planet and um, one human race. So I, I think that's where my beliefs are, are moving more towards these days. Yeah, it's a really interesting transition. I think um, it's like when someone proposes you with the question, what kind of man are you or who are you, right? Now, if you were to drop that question on yourself at age five, at age 10, um, you know, at 21, at 30, at 60, like, obviously, that it, your answer to that question is going to be so different throughout the span of your life because of um, really life experiences that are helping to clarify for us what is actually important to us. And I think our identity is directly tied to what is most important to us. So um, I think it's I think it's really cool to hear that transition for you or how that's changing as you continue to progress through life. Yeah, that's a, I appreciate that reflection because that's that's genuinely how it feels for me. I think that the identity that I have around myself now is definitely a reflection of the values that I've come to uh, integrate into my life. And um, I still have a fascination for the, the places that I come from, the people that I come from. I, I remember saying when I was in high school that I wanted to go to Japan and I wanted to take a trip there with my my younger brother so we can go and, and visit the places where our family came from and let that be kind of like this historical pilgrimage of sorts, kind of in, going back into our, our history. And we haven't made that happen yet, but I still would like to. I still would like to do that. And especially when it comes to my children too. I think I think I would like to have that be more of a conversation for them um, because i think the extent of that conversation with my kids is they they know 
what 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 their what their mix is. Right? I think I'm pretty sure if you asked Sitka, he would be able to tell you um, the different uh, ethnicities that he comes from. I don't know though. I should ask him today. Um, but I, I would like for them to be to know a little bit more and and to also have the experiences of knowing where they come from, even if they don't choose to identify as that. I think it's just important information to have. Hmm. That's a great transition because I really wanted to bring our kids into this. And, um, yeah, I feel like itself is probably a little small still, you know, being that my son is the same age as her. So I know for sure this conversation hasn't come up, at least this directly. But with Sitka, has he, you know, has the conversation of race come up at all? You know, maybe not specifically like, Dad, what are we? But, you know, anything you've noticed? Um, no, it hasn't. I can't, I definitely can't say that it has. And I think that's because of the way that he looks, you know, I, I think he he would definitely qualify as white passing. Um, and I think the, the, also the places that he's grown up in, he's been around some of the cultures that he comes from, right? Even when we were in California, there was, there was a lot of, uh, Caucasians and Mexican people. And so he kind of had that blend of, of where he came from. I don't think that he's ever felt like he, he stood out in any way because of his, because of his race. Although something that's really interesting, it's like when our, when our kids are that age, you, you, how much can they really know? But, but you, that you see what they're picking up as far as racial cues, you're going to laugh at this and I'll, t- I'll tell it because it's a little bit funny, but it's also very, uh, very educational about where my kids are coming from. Um, Anytime that Itzy sees uh, a black man with a beard, she goes, oh, is that Uncle Bob's? <laughs> well, everyone, everyone who doesn't know, that's what my kids call you, Uncle Bob's. Um, and there was a time that Sitka used to say that, too. And they would see a picture of, of, of a black man with a beard and they'd say, is that Uncle Bob's? And I think that's I always took that as a cue like, oh, wow. OK, that's my, my kids really only have one reference for what a black man with a beard looks like. That's interesting. Um, so I don't know if I ever share that with you, but I thought I would share that because I think it's appropriate. That's great. No, you haven't, but I'm, I'm happy you are now because I can imagine that that's pretty darn funny. Yeah. I think, you know, um, my son Cypress is four. um, you know, we, you know, we've never had really a conversation about race. However, um, you know, he's at the age where he's just like noticing, people are different you know so he'll like point out and say oh that person has brown skin like you and grandma boo boo which he calls my mom um so you know i think um one thing that i've really tried to do is actually bring bring awareness to differences you know whether whether it's like skin tone or um body capability or whatever it whatever it may be uh because i think there's this there used to be the school of thought of like colorblindness which you know i think is really contributes to the erasure of people being unique and the erasure of culture uh essentially so um really try to promote that conversation a little bit more not that we're going to get into like all of the racial history of the United States and the world, but at least, you know, acknowledging that people do look different and that we all have different backgrounds and different ancestry and we come from, you know, different parts of the world. Yeah, I, I think that 
again, I don't know enough about this academically, but I think that practice <laughs> of colorblindness probably has a lot to do with people not knowing how to be with their differences among people in, in another way. So it's like, well, let's just pretend that we don't see any differences. And then what would that be like? I like the idea of bringing more awareness to it. And I think it, at the end of the day, it really matters. What is the meaning that we put on the differences, right? Does it, does it mean anything mm -hmm. that your skin is darker than mine? Does it mean anything when my son says, well, how come that person has that kind of hair and I don't? I think that's really where the, the opportunity is, is to, um, to not to pretend that we aren't different or that there are not differences about us, but what is the meaning that we subscribe to that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that that's really everything is the context we bring to the, the fact that we're all different. Um, and, you know, in that context or in that meeting is really what's going to shape at least the foundational stages of their outlook on race, ethnicity, and really just differences among human beings. Um, so I guess when, you know, when it comes to that, I know we've talked about this before, both of us and said, you know, really a father's role is to prepare our children for life itself and to model what it is to be a good man. So, you know, when it comes to race and identity and um, really navigating that field as our, as your children move throughout the world, um, have you and Carrie had any conversations about I don't know, I guess just overall um, ideologies, theories, ways of being when it comes to uh, talking about race with your kids. Hmm. I don't know about I don't know about Carrie. I could think of a couple of moments where now that you, you mentioned it, where the topics come up and I think more uh, kind of like checking in with each other, like, oh, Sitka asked this question today and this is what I said. But we haven't really had a lot of intentional conversations with them yet. And I, I think that, especially for Sitka, I think he's definitely ready for more conversations like that. And I think it's, it's natural. I'm starting to see he's, he's just about to finish first grade. And this is his first year in the public school. And man, has that, has that boy gotten an education <laughs> that we were not expecting from being in public school? I mean, just like the words, the language, the, the, the cultural education. I mean, he's saying things that, that I'm reading about on, on Twitter. And I'm like, where, how, how are first graders coming across this stuff? So I, I think, yeah, I, again, I think part of it is just my own, not having looked for those opportunities to have those conversations with him yet, but also hmm. I think he's like, I think now he's when he's really ready for that. And what will those conversations be? Um, I, what I, what I would like, if I, if I, I like to figure out what's the, what's the end result I'd like to see and reverse engineer from there. I would love for my children to grow up and to be the type of humans and adults who uh, have a have a deep respect for for all life and all people. I would love for my children to feel uh, confident and and capable of interacting with people of all different backgrounds and looking for uh, points of connection rather than points of separation with other people. So I think about what would what would it take for my children to have that type of experience. Um, I think just. Thinking off the top of my head, giving them more opportunities to be exposed to different cultures and different cultural practices and interrelating with different people and, and um, exploring and, and experiencing different cultures and connections as much as they can. Um, so I, 
I think that we could definitely be doing a better job of that, starting with their own, uh, starting with their own cultural backgrounds, and then moving on from there. Mm. Yeah, there's. I, I really love the idea of kind of the reverse engineering. You know, thinking like, what's the outcome that I would love to see in my children, and then from there, it's like, what what can I do to really, you know, the word I think of is resource. Like, how can we re resource our kids to uh, to navigate race and ethnicity and all of that in in this world? Because you know, at the end of the day, I would say the, the at least the majority of times that I had to um deal with that you know or things that came up around race not not necessarily just traumatic experiences but just like really coming up with um me just going through the experience in order to develop my racial identity is that mo most of those times that my parents weren't there right they, they they weren't there with me to help guide me through it or at least give their experience of it and it was you know based on conversations that i had with them previously or things that i saw them do that you know i was able to compile you know a list of possibilities and choose like whatever action i could to um to progress through that moment so um you know resourcing our kids is really the best thing we can do because it's impossible that we're always going to be there when they're navigating something that has to do with their personal identity that's a really great point i think that's <laughs> even outside of the conversation of race just thinking that oh yeah most of what my children are going to experience when it comes to challenge and adversity i'm not going to actually be there for <laughs> so, i mean it's, it, it sounds like a duh like of course you're not going to be there but i guess i never really thought about it that way because our kids are at that age that we are around for most of the hardship and adversity that they go through but i will say that with sitka being in public school this year um this is like the first time that really felt like wow he's out in the world and I know it's just first grade, but man, first grade is different than first grade the way I experienced it now. It just <laughs> is. And um, I, it's a good reminder that the, you know, the, the support that we give our children happens before they really need it. And mm -hmm. it's like just doing our best to fill up that well with whatever we possibly can and trust that they'll, they'll be able to navigate that when they're out in the world. But that's, I mean, that's the most vulnerable thing about being a parent is not having any control over that. Right. I mean, it's like full, it's full on, you know, the epitome of letting go, right? Because there's just, you know, if you're, especially if you're going to send your kids to school, like they're, you know, the majority of the day, they are going to be around other people who are going to influence them naturally that, you know, we have no control over. And, um, there's, of course, such a beautiful aspect to that, you know, in the sense that there's people that know way more about plenty of things um, that are going to be able to influence my child. And they would never get that if it was just me solely in charge of them learning how to be a uh, fully comprehend comprehensive human being. Um, but, you know, obviously there's there's the other side of the coin, too, that's out there and they're going to be exposed to all of it. And that's just like that's part that's like trust at its fullest capacity right there at least how i've experienced it up to this point in my life i i have not experienced trust in any any deeper sense of the word than you know my kids going to school and and really just coming to face that i don't have full control over what they see hear and learn 
Yeah. What comes up for me as I'm listening to you is thinking about values. And I've been thinking a lot. Uh, I just had my parents in town visiting recently. And we had some really big conversations, um, some uncomfortable conversations, actually, um, with my parents. And it got me thinking about what I actually took from growing up because I, I, I have wonderful parents. I think they, they taught me a lot of things. But I look at my life now and I don't, I don't see much of a reflection of my parents in the way I live my life now. Where I do see the reflection is the, the values that they gave me around, um, around being a, a family first type of person uh, when it comes to being a father and a husband. And those, th- those are the things that really stood out. There was so much that I filled in the gaps with <laughs> on my own as I grew up, which I think all of us do. We, we take what we can from our families and then we move out into the world and fill in the rest with what we are called to or drawn to. Um, but I think about how that pertains to my family. I just, again, puts more focus and emphasis on exactly what am I modeling and teaching my children with everything that we do. And I mean, values is really the starting point, right? And I would love for my children to feel like they, they, they leave my house and they go out and fly off into the world doing their own thing, but feeling a strong sense of, of family, uh, of service, of a connection to, to spirit. And I mean, if, if, if they're those type of people going out into the world, I'll feel really accomplished at the end of the day. And, um, I think the rest is, it's going to be up to them. That's really good, man. Yeah. I think, you know, this is more specifically around race and ethnicity, you know, um, and you really sparked this when you were talking before about thinking about the end goal and, you know, one, my my wife is white and you know my kids are i don't know i'll just call them multiracial mm-hmm. uh but it's really interesting because i was like you know even before they were born i was really curious like well what colors their skin going to be and what you know what are the, what are their features going to look like you know essentially like are they going to be like white passing or are they going to look more this and you know even at this point i'm still not sure you know i used to think both my kids were pretty white and then uh you know we started hanging around some other white babies and i was like oh well that's white okay (laughs) they're they're like they're like a little tan you know uh but you you see my son's hair like crazy curly blonde fro sort of thing and uh you know what i come to realize is like well i want to have no idea what they're going to look like therefore i have no idea how the world is going to see them um but what i what i really hope for them is to be able to see the beauty in differences in this world, not only the beauty in it, like, you know, what is there that I can learn from this viewpoint or what is there that I can, um, that I can really gain from hearing this person who has a completely different experience than me, you know? So almost like that, you know, I think it's a sense of humility um, as well as a sense of curiosity that's gained from, from differences as opposed to, you know, maybe a sense of, of fear or being threatened or um yeah you know this kind of i think the sentiment of like i don't fit in therefore i i don't want to know anything or that means it's bad Does that makes sense yeah 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 i i i i echo that and I, I i definitely would like for my children to to grow up in the world and be that way and not putting so much emphasis i, I think like i said before you know the, the, to be able to identify and appreciate differences but not to um, 
not to place meaning on those differences that makes them separate from other people, but that um, creates more opportunities for connection instead of separation. Mm. Love it. Love it. I guess, you know, in, um, is there anything you would recommend or tools you would suggest for another dad out there that is in a multiracial family and has younger kids and is really kind of trying to figure out how to how to navigate either these conversations or what it is that they actually want for their kids when it comes to their uh, racial identity? Man, I, I I don't know if I if I would claim to be an expert in this in this, but my my, my thoughts on it are I really like the reverse engineering way of looking at things. You know, thinking about well, what where would I like for my children to be when they grow up and they head out into the world on their own, and then figuring out ask at least asking myself, well, what do I think it's going to take for them to be those kinds of people? What do I think is going to serve them best? Uh, for some reason that that way of brainstorming and coming up with solutions always works better for me. So um, like we mentioned before, just imagining, you know, even visualizing what is, what do your children look like when they take those first steps out of your door to go off into the world on their own, whether it's going to college or moving across the country or going on some backpacking adventure, just visualizing what does, you know, what, what kind of person is your, is your child and what type of appreciation do they have for the world, especially if they're coming from, uh, a mixed race background, you know, how are they in, engaging and encountering the world as a person of mixed racial identities? I, I think just asking those questions and then following up by asking what what is it, what do I think it's going to take for them to become those types of people? And then, you know, experiment with that and and then keep asking the question along the way. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I would say for me, I definitely want to answer that question too, is, um, you know, kind of in the, in the sense of reverse engineering, you know, I, I know for myself as a father, uh, one of the things that I want to continue to do throughout my, for throughout my kids' lives, especially in throughout their childhood is to really like stimulate and feed their curiosity. So if I see that they're curious about something, really continue to feed it, you know, and as opposed to just teaching them what I think is important or, or what I think they need. Um, and, you know, I think there's some balance there, obviously, but really that focus on their curiosity because, you know, a, a child that's curious about something, it's like they just have endless amounts of energy and questions. And, you know, just like you could just see their minds working. Um, so with that being said, uh, I feel like to take it a step back is how can I help to influence their curiosity like they can't be curious about something that they have no idea of so how how do i you know present them with new things so that they can have an opportunity to become curious about it so one way that i've found to be really helpful when it comes to uh race ethnicity culture and and just overall diversity is through books you know my both of my kids love to read have always loved to read or be read to and uh you know there's plenty of people out there that are way smarter than me and have uh, written really cool kids books that have to do with uh, different bodies and have to do with uh, different cultures and, you know, all these things. So I've found that when I've been able to bring that, th there's a lot of really cute and uh, insightful questions that come from my children 
around that realm of of culture and ethnicity that you know that conversation would never be possible if it wasn't for introducing some sort of stimulus to like get their mind kicking into gear. And again, my kids are four and two, so we're not talking about you know critical race theory or anything like that at this point, you know. But uh, they do get to read books about you know Yoruba deities, and they get to read books about um, you know Mexica and Aztec culture and all these different things. And it's really like they love it. They they just want more and more of it. And uh, the I feel like the least I can do at this point is just introduce them to different worldviews and different way people do things so that um, things that are different can become a norm. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that about the children's books. We have a we have a great public library here in Austin and we go there once every few weeks with the kids and get a big bundle of books because you can get like 15 books at a time. It's amazing. Um, and when I go there with Itzy, uh, last time we went there, I remember it, it's it's kind of like you know how they say at, at the grocery store you want to you know shop for all the colors of the rainbow, right? Like you <laughs> you get a little bit of red, you get some tomatoes, you get some greens, you get some salad. We were going and, and we were just picking out books that because they had some like a really diverse range of of children's books. So I remember one of the books we took out was a story of this little Asian girl and about her eyes being slanted. Her eyes it's called her eyes kiss in the corner, something like that. Really sweet book. Um, and then we picked out another book about, um, a little, a little girl going to, um, going to church and another book about, um, an indigenous girl down in the, down in the Caribbean. And we just, we just picked out these different flavors of culture in, in the, in these different stories. And, and it was cause it was what she was interested in, what, what caught her appeal. And it's been, it's been really great. Cause she, um, like you said, the curiosity piece when, when they're kids and they're like that, everything is just so interesting and it's such mm -hmm. a, such a really potent time. I think you, you keep saying, you know, my kids are only two and four, but I think it's still a really rich time to, uh, to feed, to, to feed that curiosity and, and say, well, what is a healthy diet of all these different cultural influences look like? Um, just allowing them to take, encouraging them to take all of it in. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we got a we got a public library over here too. That's really good. We're we're definitely on the most wanted list just because my kids are so damn loud every time we go in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always apologizing like a hundred times, uh, but they love it so much that you know I just have to take it on the chin and keep going back there at least once a week. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, I think we covered a lot in this conversation um, before we sign off here just curious if there's anything else that's on your heart that uh needs to be said yeah man i i just um every time that we have conversations like this especially about uh race and and culture i i'm always reminded of how much i don't know about other people and their experience on this planet um many times that that's that could be a source of of shame for me and just thinking wow i haven't really i've been thinking a lot about myself and my own experience i haven't really taken much time to think about other people's experiences um but on the other hand it's also just a great reminder for me that there's still so much more i could consider about other people's experience on this planet and i think there's if there is one thing that all of us could do more of would be to consider other people's experience of life on this planet with greater curiosity um, without the expectation that I could ever understand or know what someone else's experience is, but at least to try to consider and understand a little bit more deeply and um, 
gain a, a greater appreciation for other people's experiences and um, getting to do that alongside our children, I think is just really beautiful. And uh, I look forward to learning more about other people and other cultures alongside my children and, and, and also showing them that I don't know what everyone else's experiences are like, but that I'm willing to be curious and open. I think that's uh, I think if we all did that as parents and we're willing to, to share in that curiosity with our kids, that that would be a really great service to them and to the world. I think you hit the nail on the head there, man. I think that's the walking alongside them and uh, feeding off their curiosity so that, you know, we're feeding our own curiosity and just that being able to model that willingness to learn as opposed to being parents that know everything is like, it's literally the best thing we could do to raise responsible, amazing human beings. Agreed. Agreed. Man. Awesome, bro. Well, I really appreciate you being willing to have this conversation today. Like we said at the top, it's definitely a conversation we don't have too often. Um, thank you for letting me bring this segment to the podcast. And, you know, for me, I'm always going to champion making uh, the rising man movement more colorful and really being a space that men of color feel safe to come to so that, you know, our stories can come out here and that we can, uh, you know, better support each other so that we can be better leaders for our communities and for ourselves. Yeah, man. A whole generation of men includes every color of the rainbow. So I, I love that you're a stand for that and that uh, I, I know that you're right. You're the right man for the job to represent that and bring more and more men from different backgrounds into this movement. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely, bro. Love you very much. Much love to uh, Carrie and the kids. And I'll see you soon. I love you too, bro. Thank you. All right, so there you have it, folks. Always great to uh, be in deep conversation with my bro, Jetty Azuma, and always good to talk about things that don't normally come up, in this case, race, ethnicity, and what it's like just being biracial men and raising multiracial children. I hope that in listening to this, you got something from it. If you are in a multiracial family, I hope there's some direction here uh, to help you to continue to raise your children intentionally and to help you as a man walk intentionally through this earth. I think if there's one thing I got from this conversation, it's we are always learning. None of us are full masters of anything, especially when it comes to race and ethnicity. So there's always space for growth. There's always space for learning. And we can only do that if we're having conversations with each other. Yeah, it might be uncomfortable sometimes, but it's always worth being uncomfortable if it's for the sake of learning more and just learning how to be a better friend and a better human being. Thank you for supporting Fam Life on the Rise of Man podcast. Share this episode with a friend. Like it on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And until next time, stay up. Yeah.